Welcome to the Coast to Coast Podcast. We are back here with episode 11. I'm your host, Kyle Creasy, and I'm here with my co-host, Tommy Smith. And today we just wanted to bring you guys an episode right before this huge Game 7 between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. And so just a few talking points that we have for you. Um, since our last podcast, they announced the all-defense teams. They announced all-NBA teams. Um, the Warriors have won the Western Conference Finals 4-1. to one. Obviously, our Game 7 is being played tonight between the Celtics and the Heat. And the Lakers have announced a coach. So we just wanted to cover all that in a little episode for you. Um, we've, got some, we've got some big things coming up starting next week. Uh, we have a very, very – uh, big guest and a, somebody that I've been able to interact with in social media for a while now. So we're happy to bring him on. He's going to do a finals preview with us and some other things, but I won't, won't go over too much, but it's going to be a fun episode. So we're excited for that one, but getting into this one, first things first, we want to go over how the all defense teams were announced. Um, if you guys didn't see them, or even if you saw them, just to recap, the first team all defense was Marcus Smart, Mikael Bridges, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Rudy Gobert. And second team defense was Drew Holiday, Matisse Steibel, Draymond Green, Bam Adebayo, and Robert Williams. Tommy, when you saw those, did anything stick out to you? Uh, nothing really. I, I, I was pretty much expected all of, the, all of it. Um, you maybe could uh make the case for for bam making first team but i don't think that he played enough games to make that first team my thoughts so exactly I, yeah. yeah so i'm pretty i'm pretty good with the selections to be uh to be completely honest yeah you know i mean i went back and looked at my picks and i had drew on first team instead of gobert so i shifted jaron jackson to my center spot and put Giannis and bridges as my forwards um, I really do think that Drew deserved that first-team defense spot. You know, Bam, Bam, in terms of the defense played itself, was probably a first-teamer, same as Draymond, but it was just the games played. But games played and the defense played, I, I really don't see how Drew is a second-team defender. So I had him first-team, but, I mean, it's whatever. Obviously, Gobert's really good. Um, I had Patrick Beverly and Jason Tatum on my second team as well. Um, I did have Tybull making an all-defense team, but in my opinion, if it came down to one of those two, I had Patrick Beverly over Matisse Tybull. I, I feel like Patrick Beverly just doesn't get the recognition he deserves sometimes. And, you know, don't get me wrong, because, I, cause, I mean, I had Tybull making an all-defense team, but he is kind of deceiving, in this, especially in the last two playoffs, of, like, he is very active, steals and blocks, but the IQ is not – something crazy in terms of just being a team defender yep i completely i mean i get what i get where you're coming with that and i i got you yeah and then i mean my thing with drew being first team is i guess they probably didn't do that because that probably takes gobert off the ballot yeah. because you know if drew is in that first team then i really don't know if I, I think they just wanted – maybe it doesn't take Gobert off the ballot, but I think they just wanted to make sure that they got – because I was super excited that Jaron made first team all defense. It was close. But um, I think they just wanted to make sure they got all those dudes on the ballot, whether it's first team or second team, 
whenever it comes to Jaron, Gobert, Bam, and Rob. So I I guess that's why they didn't make Drew first team or something. But I don't care, man. Even if that bumps somebody off, you got to put who deserves it. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing nothing crazy though. Overall, that's that's ten guys that are really good defenders. I was just kind of upset that Beverly did not get on there. I thought Tatum deserved to be on there, but I didn't think it was anything crazy. I thought it was going to be close whether he made it or not. So yeah. All defense. Um, and then, obviously, all NBA teams were announced. And off the rip, I'm going to say that we have to come up with something that changes how these guys get money or not. Because it's just – the media gets it right most of the time, and I think it's a good system in place to vote for these things. But we can't have a bad media member's vote be the reason that somebody may or may not get an additional thirty or forty million dollars. Yeah, that's it. That's not fair. Not fair at all. So, you know, I just wanted to touch on that before we get into these. But first team announced was Luka Doncic, Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic. And obviously, I feel like I was in the same boat as everybody where I was excited that Jason Tatum made first team because he's one of my favorite players. And I feel like he he's earned that type of recognition. But I, I honestly thought that Jokic and Embiid were, were both going to get first team. Did you? Yeah, definitely. I, you got to find you have to find a way to like <clears throat> not really make it positionless in the all-star like all-NBA voting. But these they were the two like two of the top three players in the league this year. And uh, JoJo made that second team instead of the first team. So I definitely think that he should have been on there. So you got to find a different way to, you know, classify these guys. All right. Yeah. And we'll get to that in a second. But uh, second team was John Morant, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, DeMar DeRozan, and uh, Joel Embiid. And then third team was Trey Young, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Pascal Siakam, and Carl Anthony Towns. So, you know, I went back and looked at my picks again. My first team was Luka, Booker, Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid. My second team was Ja, Trey, Tatum, KD, and Cat. And then my third team was Steph, DeMar, Bron, Siakam, Bam. Now, I mean, when I look back, obviously I had Bam third team and Cat second team, but that was with the assumption of Embiid and Jokic both being on first team. So, you know, obviously that bumps one of those guys out, which was Bam. Um, you know, I don't care what anybody says. Devin Booker was first team all NBA this year. He's great I, all year. I don't, I don't, I just think this is why the NBA, in my opinion, needs to go back to announcing these things right after the regular season is over, is because Devin Booker had a phenomenal regular season I mean the dude was averaging like 27 5 on 5 on like 46 47 percent shooting like 38 39 percent from three high volume seeing crazy coverages all year by far the best player on what was the best team in the regular season they had an eight game lead like a seven or eight game lead on everyone else and yeah like I don't care what happened in the playoffs he was solid in the playoffs he did have he did have a horrible ending to it but Playoffs has nothing to do with whether Devin Booker is All-NBA first team or not, and he rightfully earns All-NBA first team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, um, although I I had Jokic and Embiid first team with the current layout of the selections, I wasn't mad that he was second team. I guess where I was upset about it was that there's it's hard because there's not many instances in, in NBA history where it's like this because that was probably like you said two of the top three players that had kind of separated themselves for the rest of the league in terms of this season specifically in the regular season and one of them is on second team so it just doesn't even feel right but with the current setting in place we get two guards two forwards and a center and neither Jokic or Embiid play forward minutes at all. I mean, it is strictly center. And, you know, Joel Embiid is not the first instance in NBA history where he maybe got hit with something like this. Um, David Robinson in 1994 averaged 30 points, 11 rebounds, five assists, almost two steals, and over three blocks and was second team behind Hakeem Olajuwon, and he was second in the MVP race that year. And then in the year after, in 1995, Dave Robinson actually won the MVP, but Shaq was averaging 29 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, and over two blocks a game, but he was second team behind David Robinson. Now the thing about Embiid is that this is something now that's happened to him two years in a row. So... Um, I guess a question I'm going to ask there is, should All-NBA be changed in any way in how it's voted? And if so, what would your change be? I guess my change would be getting uh, getting less media. I mean, let, let the players vote, man. Like, get less media to get vote on these awards and let the people who are actually out here doing it uh, get the, get to really pick these awards. So I get, I get where you're coming from, but I do have to disagree there because it's been experimented a little bit with all-star voting and players can come off as very, very biased in a biased way that the media members honestly have proven not to. And that's just kind of a huge problem that you hit yourself with. So my answer would be, just kind of move towards not positionless because you have to keep positions in place to some extent, in my opinion, because if you don't, then I feel like there's going to be people that kind of go away from the smaller guards or even the traditional big guys. And it'll just be like, okay, how many six, eight forwards am I going to vote for? So yeah. Yep, um, and then I guess I, I guess another way to do it would like you know, like you said go or go a different way that route you know classify them a little bit differently you know big swings and guard. yeah so my my thought process here would be two backcourt players so I don't care if they're a point guard or a shooting guard two front court players you know I don't care small forward power forward center or whatever and then one that can be anything. I like that. Oh, I like that a lot. That way you've got enough flexibility to where you're going to be forced to pick two guys that are guards. You're going to be forced to pick two guys that are, you know, 
bigger guys or whatever, whether even if it is two small forwards, whatever. I mean, we've seen that before, even as it is with like LeBron and KD for years. And then you can just pick one at whatever. I mean, you're still going to eventually find a way to get centers in there and you're going to find point guards in there because there's guys that are good enough. But I think that's a solid proposition. But I also don't – I would be shocked if they do change it, though, because they don't really want to mess with history. But also Adam Silver has been pretty open to changing some things anyway. Yeah. So um, – and then lastly, just wanted to touch on – you know, shout out to Trey and Booker because since they made All NBA this year, they both get boosted contract incentives. So, uh, Trey's rookie extension that he's, I think it kicks in this year. I think it kicks yeah. in this year. I'd have to look at it. I don't, it's either this year or next year. I believe it's this year. Trey, over to the course of this contract, will make an almost additional like 30 to $40 million because of this. Um, so that was big time for him and then Booker became eligible for the Supermax because of this so that was that's huge for him um, you know and then I do think that there also has to be uh, well before I say this uh, I know Tatum has to be a little sick right now because Tatum had to make all NBA last year to get that and then oh, here, wow. and then here he is, a year later, All NBA first team, but it's a year too late. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, I'd be sick definitely. So, you know, I heard him talk about it a little bit. He was just saying, you know, sometimes they say like a year too late or whatever, and he was just, he was kind of laughing it off. I mean, I think he, I think he's happy with where he's at as a player. So, that's he knows he's going to make a lot of money as it is. He'll he'll end up he'll end up being a super max player over time. I don't think he's too concerned about it okay but uh yeah oh what the, sorry the the last point i was getting at before we move on to the western conference finals was um you know jalen rose comes out and says that he voted for kyrie irving third team all nba and he's like oh yeah i really regret that decision like that's where we have to have it it could be the simplest of criterias because first off he's his voting rights should be stripped in my opinion for that alone I, i'm not i'm not somebody to normally come off real quick and say that you should be stripped of your voting rights because of one simple vote because they do get it right a lot but that right there was terrible i mean you voted a guy that played 29 games to your all nba team but <laughs> But but I just I wanted to branch off that because I want to say the simplest of the criteria have to be added to this. We have to have some t- like to win the scoring title, for instance, you have to have played in seventy percent of the games. So why don't we have something like that for all NBA? Because that shouldn't even be a problem that we hit. There should be no because I don't I didn't see the exact votes. I don't think I don't think Trey Young like was just up and away all NBA third team. Like, I think it was kind of tight. And what if Trey Young missed out on 30 to $40 million because Jalen Rose voted a guy that played 29 games over him for all NBA? Yeah. But that just kind of goes to our point earlier of um, there has to be something different to be whether, to be how you get paid because – 
I don't think something like that should determine it. But it's whatever. I guess it is a solid system, but it's just you have instances like that where it could end up hurting somebody. And that's, but again, that's just really hard to imagine that somebody's going to get more money or not based off that. But yeah, but there has to be simple criteria games played. I don't, doesn't even have that, that could be it. Just, just so you prevent that. But, you know, I mean, solid all NBA teams throughout. I'm glad Pascal made an all NBA team. And I also just, this just randomly came to my mind. I've seen all this stuff like, oh yeah, by the way, Jimmy Butler didn't make an all NBA team. Yeah, he shouldn't have. Like he's been a, we've covered him all playoffs. He's been a top three player in the playoffs. That doesn't mean you were an all NBA player in the regular season. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. I was I was a little bit upset about someone else not making it. Maybe okay, over. who? Yeah, it was uh Brandon Ingram. I really was impressed with him this season, and I I think that I don't know he he just implemented the like the playmaking part into his game just much like uh, Jason Tatum has this year, and I just I think he should have should have made a made a, one of these teams. I guess my question is like, who would you put him over? See, that's where that's where you're gonna get a little bit mad at me because I would have put him over Pascal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't have gotten myself to do that because of what Pascal's done with the team this year. Mm-hmm. Now, if the Pelicans had played like they did from about I don't know February on, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd probably get right behind it. But you know, I think there's. Like, there are teams like the Celtics who started out bad, but they just played so well to end it to where it kind of covered it all. Mm-hmm. But, like, the Pelicans, it was, like, it was such a bad start. And then it was just so hard to recover from it all. He, I'd, I'd say he was close. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll go that far, though. But, I mean, I definitely think he's a guy that's probably going to be competing for these as early as next year. This team, Pelicans, is going to be a good team next year. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So, Yeah. Um, but I mean, I thought it was solid overall. I didn't think there was a ton of controversy. So, moving along, we want to talk about the Western Conference Finals. Probably not what everyone expected, just in terms of the game's one outcome, with it being four to one. But you know, I heard that Tim Bontemps was talking about this for ESPN, and I really think it like. It, it needs noting, and it needs to be – more people need to be talking about this. Although Luka does need some help to an extent in terms of, like, probably all-star caliber talent, this wasn't like a LeBron versus the Spurs in 07 type series. Like, Dallas had plenty of chances to take some games here in this series besides the game four that they won. So, you know, the outcome says 4-1 – but these weren't just like blowouts or it never just felt like Golden State was just running the table here until they were up 3-0. So I just feel like that was worth mentioning. Uh, you agree with that? I do. I do. Um, I was big on Golden State earlier earlier in the, the pod, but I moved away from them, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not upset with my pick, man. I mean – you know, the Mavs, they showed me plenty that they were more than capable of, of of taking this series to the wire. But that's the thing is they just didn't. Like, mm-hmm. that's just how it goes sometimes. Yep, and I, I'm not I'm not mad about my pick. I'm just mad I moved away from my Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, I feel that because I would have been the same way if the Bucks would have won that game seven against Boston. But yeah, um, yeah. So I, you know, the first thing I wanted to mention is, you know, for, forget the context of anything. Steph and the Warriors just deserve their appreciation for the greatness of this dynasty. I mean, we're we're at six the sixth finals in eight years, and you know, I'm not on board with people saying like, oh, they could have been making their eight straight finals. Like, no, that that's where this front office, in my opinion, is so elite because they lost KD and they had to kind of flip it. They just took what they could and flipping it into D'Angelo Russell. And then they took D'Lo and they were able to work their way around there and find their way into Wiggins and Minnesota's draft pick. And when they got D'Lo, they also had to trade Iggy. So, because they wanted that, they didn't have the cap space, but they were trading for D'Lo to have that, like, salary slot so that in a future trade, they could trade, like, a $28 million, $30 million salary slot. They wouldn't have had that if KD had just walked because KD – was only able to even go to Golden State in the first place because Steph was on such a friendly contract. And then at the same time, um, the cap spike in 2016. So, you know, and then a lot of other moves, but that's just kind of where it all started. And this roster, even even last year, was not very good top to bottom. And they've just been able to – reshape it and bring in some of these guys you know I remember whenever Gary Payton was a finalist for that 15th roster spot I know he didn't get to play in this series but they were choosing between like him and Avery Bradley and everybody was like oh Avery Bradley be a good pickup for the Warriors but like they knew what they were doing like they took GP they drafted Kuminga they drafted Moses Moody who was able to come in and give them minutes that were able to win them you know two games um Kavon Looney they were just kept him throughout the years. Um, you know, they picked up Belly, and he was able to bet Nemanja Bielica, for people that don't know whenever, I'm, whenever I say Belly. But he was able to really come in and honestly give them great minutes to win the game five. It's just like the way that they were able to turn this roster around after the past two years with Clay coming back this year, it's just – it's a huge testament to their front office. So, you know, shout out to the Warriors, six finals in eight years. Um, and I, I mean, you back me up if you think it's if you agree with this or not. I obviously think it's super impressive what LeBron did, but I honestly, and this is not like a shot at LeBron or anything, but I've seen people say like, "Oh, LeBron is the greatest dynasty." I think it's greater whenever a team can ma- can maintain this, opposed to if a player hops to three different teams and is able to have a different like roster construction. Like I like I I think it's super impressive what he did, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But like to me it's just like even crazier to think that a team itself was able to keep the infrastructure to go to this many finals in a row opposed to a superstar player navigating to two or three different teams to get that type of roster. Yeah. And uh yeah, this is this is the same Warriors team 2 years ago. They won 16 16 games. I mean injuries are a thing, but um they were able to keep the core guys and build around them, and they're built from the ground up. And this, I mean, it's not a rebuild; it's a reload for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
And then, you know, after we were just kind of talking about their the reshaping of their roster over the past two years, Andrew Wiggins in this playoff run and really all season, you know, he had a little slump after the all-star break, but that was about it. Uh, you know, he was an all-star starter, whether you agree with it or not, like, you know, he's been really good this year and he couldn't have been any more awesome for him in this playoffs. I mean, you could argue Andrew Wiggins might be their second most, second most important player in these playoffs right now, just for what he gives them on both ends. You know, it's kind of sad because he was completely written off. Like he really was. And I, I was never a fan of that because in my opinion, you know, Wiggins was this six, eight freakish athletic forward that, just he was putting up almost 20 points a game and it wasn't even on like bad efficiency it was like obviously a little to be desired but it was nothing crazy and you know he always had the tools here I I never understood this thought that Andrew Wiggins was a bust did you like did you ever sit there and think oh yeah well he's done uh no no I not at all and I think that people think he was a bust because of what he was trying, like what they were comparing him to coming out of college. But I knew that he wasn't ever that. Um, I, I knew that he was good. And I don't know. I wish I, – I just wish the, the Cavs would have kept him to see, you know, just see what would have happened. I think it's always a neat thing to think about. Mm-hmm. If that if that could maybe extended that team's timeline a bit. Yeah. But – you know, I I think it was good for him and the experiences he's went through, and I think it's really helped because, first off, when he started out in Minnesota, it was just – it was just bad – a bad front office at that point, not a good roster. You know, he wasn't around any type of good culture. And then to go from nothing to Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau, that just wasn't a transition that was realistic for a guy like him or Cat. And I'm not a big Cat guy. I still think Cat is just – I just think he is – well, I'll refrain. I just I just don't think Cat is built in that way at all. And that's it's okay. Like, you can do whatever. But, you know, Wiggins, I just – that was a lot to expect from him and Cat in that sense to be able to go from no structure and no real culture at all to Jimmy and Tibbs. And so for for Wiggins to be written off because of that, I'm glad he was able to end up finding his way here because then he was able to go into a system with the Warriors where it's different from obviously a Jimmy and a Tibbs type thing. And Kerr has obviously proven to be a good leader that is able to really find a way to get a lot of guys involved. So I'm, just, I'm glad because I remember when Wiggins was coming out – I mean, I was like 13 years old, but I was like super excited about Andrew Wiggins. I thought he was like this – I mean, like a lot of people, I thought he was like this awesome prospect that was going to be some star in the league. And maybe we're getting to that point. Maybe not like superstar. Maybe Andrew Wiggins can be this like all-star caliber player for a few years for the Warriors. So. Oh, God, I hope so. I hope so. I love the guy. So, yeah, I just wanted to give him his flowers, man. He definitely deserves it. Um, we obviously had our Magic Johnson Award winner, and that was Steph Curry. And I thought he was very deserving. Um, you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. He was the best player in this, our best player for the winning team in the series. <laughs> I was about to say, hold your horses there. <laughs> um, yeah. 
<laughs> nah, but I mean, um, I was happy for him because, well, first off, like you said, the best player for the Warriors in the series. I mean, the first four games, yeah. And then obviously the closeout game, rough shooting. But I mean, he controlled the game, man. Like mm-hmm. he he controlled that game. He's the reason that Kavon Looney was able to get going that game offensively. Like, it was no question on who the Magic Johnson Award winner was. Yeah, and, and I, I was happy for him because I do think that the whole narrative of him never winning a finals MVP kind of gets blown out of proportion. And so it's just nice to see him get like an individual postseason award. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, it's nothing close to the magnitude of the finals MVP. But, I mean, like I said, it's just nice to see him get get that individual award in the postseason. Oh, yeah. So, you know, shout out to the Warriors. Uh, we'll see who their finals matchup is tonight. But now on to kind of like some Mavs stuff and some X's nose in the series a little bit. Um, just want to talk about Luka at first. We've raved about him. I don't know how many times, but he he he's just honestly that brilliant. Like I don't know other ways to put it at this point. Uh, it really is only the beginning for this guy, and you know he just had a playoff run where he just had he's averaged thirty two points, ten rebounds, and six assists in these playoffs, and um, he's the first player ever to average thirty points, five rebounds, and five assists in his first three playoff runs. That's ridiculous. It's the best is yet to come, and we've already seen some ridiculous stuff. Yeah. So, uh, whew, like we said before, man, and we'll we'll get into that in a minute. But for what yeah, I was and I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say something about Luca real quick. Okay. A lot of people were like just talking about his turnovers, and I just wanted to clear that up. Um. When you are a player that has the ball for as much time as Luca has the ball, you are like who else? Who else is going to be the like? I Brunson maybe, but he's not Luca. Luca's going to have the ball for the majority of the game when yeah. you for the maps. So he's going to turn the ball over. So I'm a hundred percent okay with this turnovers, and I'll, I'll defend them that to the death. Yeah, and I think it's. You're you're completely right. Like, when you have that high of a usage rate, it's naturally going to happen. And a lot of these, like, even some of his turnovers, some of his turnovers are boneheaded. It is what it is. Like, they're going to happen. And we have to also acknowledge, as good as he is and as smart as he is, he's still kind of learning along the way. Like, he's 23. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, like, it's also not – it's not a lot of turnovers that are like you watch it and you're like, that was so dumb. Like, it's not any like that. It's just like maybe he was one step ahead and it just didn't go in the dude's hands. <laughs> like, yeah. like it, it's just it's stuff like that in my opinion. So I, I agree. I'm glad you brought that up because I wasn't even thinking about it just because yeah. I'm so high on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to go over kind of like what went wrong for Dallas in the series is – First off, what if I told you that besides game one, because that was kind of – that got kind of ugly quick, um, Dallas was better in the half court and more efficient in the half court in the other four games, every single game individually. 
But if you, hey, I'd be a little bit surprised because I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize that they were more efficient in the half court setting. Shout out cleaning the glass. That's where we get our stats from. Um, but cleaning the glass says that every game, Dallas was more efficient in the half court besides game one. Um, you know, just kind of unfortunate for Dallas because part of it was like, I don't want to call it like lucky or unlucky or anything, but it is kind of a luck element. I mean, it's a team that shot this year in the range of like 40 to 42% on open threes. And they just happened to shoot like 31, 32% in the series. Like, I, I, what, what do you say about that? Like, that's just, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, so, you know, poor shooting on some good looks. Uh, because of that, it allowed – because they are a high-volume shoot, three-point shooting team, long rebounds, Golden State getting out in transition. And, buddy, Golden State was converting at a very high clip in transition all series. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was just really hard for Dallas to get back and match up. And, you know, Golden State took great advantage of that. Dallas also got killed on the offensive glass. Uh, that's where they have to find that Dwight Powell replacement this offseason. They've got to find a center that can be like a defensive anchor and really rebound the ball, be a real lob threat to Luka. You know, Dwight, Dwight Powell just doesn't really check any of those boxes. Um, you know, I guess he's somewhat of a lob threat, but it's not much. He's athletic. He plays hard. I got nothing against Dwight Powell. He's just not what it's going to take. Yeah, not not for this team at least. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm glad you said mm -hmm. that because maybe Dwight Powell does fit a need for some team out there, but yeah, not for this team and their current makeup. Um, and then, you know, like there were games like Jalen Brunson had a good series overall, and like Spencer Dinwiddie had a good last two or three games. But there's just no true secondary threat on this team yet, and. You know, I, I feel like whenever I've said on the pod before, give this guy another all-star and it'll be scary. I feel like somebody's immediate reaction is going to be, oh, well, Brunson and Dinwiddie had different games scoring 20 to 25 points. They did, and I'm glad they did. They were able to help, especially Brunson with the good series. But they aren't being covered like an all-star player. Yeah. So, like – in terms of other guys, it it obviously helps those guys in one-on-one -on -one play. But when you got an all-star caliber player seeing those type of different coverages and they have to actually scheme and defend around him because they're worried about him, it just changes the game. So, you know, I just thought that was worth mentioning. Um, you know, I just – I had a note here where I want to discuss, like, the Mavs outside of Luka. They've obviously got some needs, and they got to sharpen around the edges. Um, and I actually have a few different hypothetical trades here that I just want you to tell me if you would like them for Dallas or not. Okay. You know, nothing – I'm not going to – guys, if you're listening, take these with a grain of salt. None of these are anything uh, that I'm just saying is going to happen. I just think it's tough to look at because of the needs of Dallas. Um, number one. Well, actually, before I get into this real quick, I forgot I wanted to mention one thing. Um, 
shout out to Steph defensively because early on, and you guys heard in our podcast, we talked about how in game one, Golden State was hedging Steph and he was recovering because they refused to switch him on to Luka. I didn't think that that was going to work. Well, it was able to work because Steph was busting his tail to get back and go scramble and find shooters or find guys that were going to attack the rim. And so for him to be able to do that consistently as much as he's already running on the offensive end too, he deserves his respect there because like Reggie Miller on TV is sitting there saying how Dallas is attacking Steph. Brother, they're trying to, but they're not because they can't because Golden State's defense is moving so quickly and doing a great job at rotating that they're not able to do anything about it. So that, that's something that we talked about in the last pod that I wanted to mention because Golden State did a great job of recovering off of that. Now, here's some of my hypothetical trades for you, and we'll run through these quick. First one, first off, I want you to tell me realistic or unrealistic, and then second off, I want you to tell me if Dallas – uh, should go for it or not. Dwight Powell, Josh Green, and unprotected 2028 first for Clint Capella. So I, I'm gonna say, um, I'm gonna say that's unrealistic just because it. I don't think that's what Atlanta's looking for. Uh, however, I do think that would be, that'd be really good for the the Mavs. It gives Luca a true lob threat. Um, I think he plays the game like, like a basically a six eight version of uh, Trey Young. So I think that would be really good for for Dallas. Yeah, um, you know my only thing would be if if Atlanta's trying to stockpile some assets mm-hmm. to maybe get another like All Star couch in the same boat as Dallas, trying to get like an All Star caliber guy alongside Trey. And if you wanted to make some kind of argument in that sense, the twenty twenty eight first would be Luca's contract ends in 2027. And so that would be kind of like with the hope that if you were another team, that Luca would leave that offseason and that that's a year where Dallas doesn't have Luka Doncic and would be in the lottery and you'd hopefully get that pick the next offseason. Yeah, okay. I got you. Um, but, yeah, I totally agree. You know, it could be looked at either way. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one, it's not like a specific trade, but it just involves – Brunson being signed and traded with the thought of Levine or Beal wanting out of their current destination. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that's realistic. Um so I let think me ask let me ask you this. Which one do you think is a bigger possibility, Zach Levine or Bradley Beal? Zach Levine. Zach Levine, I, I think he's a little bit uh I agree. A little bit more than happy. I think uh, so. but I think Zach Levine's free agency is going to be very interesting. Yeah, definitely. I'm, 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 I'm excited a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I think that would be amazing for the Mavs. It, I mean, it takes attention away from Luka. I think he could – oh, my goodness. I can't even imagine that right there. Uh, yeah. I, 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 Part of me wants it because I want Luka to succeed and I want – I want to be able to see him with another all-star, but part of me is also like maybe a year later so the yeah. Clippers don't have to face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but my next one is Davis Bertans, a 2027 first and a 2029 first for Miles Turner. 
That's realistic. I can see that for both teams. Uh, and that one would be that one would be interesting. I don't I don't I don't know. That one's other. <laughs> I am all on board for Miles Turner to Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is perfect. He can yeah, he can do everything. I mean, you're talking about a legit defensive anchor, one of the best defensive anchors in the league when he's healthy and playing. And one of the best rim threats. And he's spacing the floor. Yeah. Like a lob threat would be cool in my opinion, but if you're able to get Miles Turner to space the floor as a defensive anchor, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm all on board for Miles Turner to Dallas if it's a possibility. I don't know if they'd be willing to give up two first for somebody that's not an all-star caliber guy, but the, I just thought that because they could literally trade a Bertans contract that still has like three or four years left, and it's such a bad contract, but you could get rid of that and get the exact type player that you need with two future firsts. Yep. And I was about to say, you see the Bertans play, takes the threes, but uh, I think Miles Turner hits the ones that, that Bertans is out there missing. Yeah, so um, I, I'm all on board for that one. This one is Dwight Powell and either their 2028 or 2029 first for Christian Wood. That's realistic. That's realistic. Uh, I think the Rockets are – we're gonna be rebuilding for a, for a, for a good minute if they can't get the right asset right here. But um, uh, and I think that would be really good for Luca as well. I mean, Christian oh, yeah, Wood, I, I Christian think Wood is a. I mean, I'm high on him. He's a, yeah. And then you give him you give him Luca. I think Luca unlocks parts of his game that we don't even know about yet. I mean, we, yeah, he's really I, good, but still, I, I think. I think if you pair Christian Wood with Luca, whether he actually is this or not, that's an all-star appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like whether he is actually that type of all-star player or not, I could see Christian Wood being an all-star by simply playing with Luka Doncic. Yeah. I mean, we got to see a few games of it early when he played with Harden on the Rockets, and it was like, okay, this could be nasty if they work it out, but you could tell Harden won it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the Rockets have really screwed up here because Christian Wood just has a year left on his contract now. And it's like, what are you going to get out of him? Like, I like Christian Wood a lot, but he has a year left on his contract. Why did you wait this long? He's not in the timeline. (laughs) He's not like old. Yeah, no. But he doesn't fit this timeline. Yeah, and I mean, just and it's, it's, upset it's him. not. It's not one of those things where he's like this vet that's like trying to help these guys out. No, Christian Wood is like in the prime of his career, trying to like see what he can do as a player and trying to make as much money as he possibly can. So I, I don't know why they've held on to him for this long. I'm not saying the value for him was like high, high before this, but it's probably at an all-time low because he only has a year left now. Yeah. Because they're not going to extend him. Like, mm-hmm. right. I, I just – I don't agree with it. Another talk for another day. Um, next deal. Dwight Powell, Tim Hardaway Jr., their 2022 first this year, which is a late first-round pick, 
I don't remember the exact number it is. 2027 first, 2029 first, Rudy Gobert. I think that uh, it's real. It's a little bit unrealistic to me. I mean, I'm low. I don't like Rudy Gobert at all. Uh, so I think that's a little bit too much for him. But um, I think that Utah would definitely take it. Um, and I think it would, it would, I don't know. I guess it would help. It's a true lob. I mean, it's a lob threat. And I think Luka could make him better than Donovan Mitchell's making him, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so- I I think Rudy Gobert is the perfect fit for Dallas, but I just think that I don't know if it's worth the price tag. Yeah, because yeah. you just you really heavily cripple your roster if Luca and and Gobert combined are going to be taking up almost like ninety million. Yeah. Jeez. I just I just don't. That's my issue with it. I think in theory, Rudy Gobert is perfect for the for this Mavs team. But, yeah, I don't think it's worth the price tag, mm-hmm. especially when there's some options out there that you could probably get for, like, the 15 to $18 million range. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's, that, that's all mine. I really, I really hope Dallas I – just, I just hope they don't sit still is my thing. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, if they sit still, they're just going to make – they're just going to frustrate. Luke it's just I, like – I don't know. What's kind of crazy about it is even with the current team, you could argue like, yeah, they're a contender, like which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It sounds crazy, but it's true. Yep. But That's is it true. is it likely that they're able to go win four series in a row? No. Mm-mm. And especially uh, next year uh, when we get these healthy, healthy juggernauts. Exactly. So we'll see. And then. Last question in this one since game seven is tonight and it'll transition us into our Eastern Conference Finals talk. If you are the Warriors, who do you want to play in the finals? If you are the Warriors, I don't know. Uh, I think they, they match up a little bit better with, uh, with Miami. I agree. So uh, you want Miami. I agree. I, I, I do think they would prefer – Miami. I think they could beat either one. I'm not saying that if Boston – you guys know Boston is my title pick. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. If Boston wins – first off, I think Boston's going to win tonight. If, yeah, spoiler there. But if Boston wins tonight, I, I'm i going to pick Boston because they've been my pick. Um, but that doesn't mean that Golden State is has no shot at the series. I actually think they have a good shot mm-hmm. regardless of who it is. So – um, you know, me and Tommy were actually on the phone last night. It's, this is just one of those years right now where it's like – and it's nothing against Golden State. Everything's going their way. Typically, when you see stuff like that, it continues. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So, so – Chris Paul. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> Uncalled for. <laughs> Uncalled for. <laughs> um, <laughs> moving along. <laughs> <laughs> going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Here we are tied at 3-3. I honestly thought we were going to get a closeout in game six. Um, but, you know, Jimmy Butler decides to have literally an all-time great performance. That's not no exaggeration. That wasn't some all-time great heat performance. That was a literal all-time great NBA performance. Um, I think he he – 
got in a category with Michael Jordan after that last game. <laughs> He's the second player ever, along with MJ, to have two games in a playoff run where he scored 40 points and had – or maybe it was in a series, not a, not just a playoff run, where he had 40 points and four, and four steals multiple times. Good God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so – First off, I just want to discuss the injuries within the series. You got Jimmy's knee, Tatum's shoulder, which have both been some real issues, even though Tatum's been awesome throughout the whole series. And Jimmy, although he's had some lows, has had some really high highs. Um, Kyle Lowry, um, Rob with his knee, Marcus Smart with his ankle, and Tyler Hero with his groin. Um these teams are just kind of beat up. Mm-hmm. And, and when, I mean, when you're this, uh, this scrappy, this gritty, like these tough teams, you're going to have some injuries like this, you know? Exactly. You know, it's like, it's one of those things you don't just want to assume, but it doesn't shock you that they are hurt because of how, how physical both teams really are. Um, now, I think this is a perfect point because we discussed this prior to the series. The Tatum versus Jimmy duel. I tried to emphasize before the series, yes, it sounds obvious, but whoever plays better is really going to be a huge factor in who wins this series. It couldn't have been any more true to this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, like you have – the three games that Miami's won, because in my opinion, Tatum, besides game three, has been great. Yeah. So, but the games that Miami's won, very, very low Jason Tatum game in game three because Butler got hurt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, it was kind of hard to say, like, one outplayed the other. Mm-hmm. But even before Jimmy got hurt, he wasn't playing that well. But it was like Tatum was so bad to where you could say, you know, Butler was better. Um, even in the half he played, but they put themselves in such a huge hole. Um, and then the other games they won were game one, Jimmy 40 piece, and game six, Jimmy all time masterclass 40 piece. So Tatum has just been, besides game three, super consistent. And so that's led to him outplaying Jimmy in the other three games. And so, I mean, obviously that's part in part due to injury, but I don't want to hear that excuse because Jason Tatum is literally going through injury as well. So, um, and, you know, everybody in this series banged up. Like, it's not like somebody's just riding around frolicking, playing 100% right now in this series. Mm-hmm. Maybe Peyton Pritchard, but that's just because it's spot minutes. <laughs> like, um, but it's, it's – the the battle between them two has been pretty even – in terms of looking at games one through six in totality. Mm-hmm. You agreed? Yeah, definitely. Definitely agree. And, you know, like I mentioned, Tatum's been a lot more consistent. But Jimmy's performances to be able to uplift him have just kind of made it even. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who outplays the other in game seven. Um, although I – I like Jimmy a lot. I feel like his knee honestly is killing him. And I feel like he just kind of, you know, I told you this on the phone last night. I feel like that was one thing where the the heat 
just gave that last little bit of whatever they had to force this game seven. And maybe they have more in the tank for game seven, but it would just kind of – I'd be kind of surprised if I saw something like that again in this game just because of how beat up they've been and they were able to just scrap out a game like that. Yeah. If – I mean, if he does do it again, gotta I don't know. got to gotta put him in that class. Put oh, yeah. Players. Yeah. Um, you know, next, I just want to talk about a little bit of the, the bipolarness to Jalen Brown and, to an extent, Bam, um, which is, like, the second option on each team. Um, I, I don't know what – Jalen Brown in this series – first off, watching him in general is an experience. You know, I've said this before. I don't know if it's – I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but Jalen Brown is, like, the one player that I've watched ever, and it's like – his handle is loose, like super loose. But, like, he has a bag. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, cannot dribble to save his life, but, hey, give you a bucket. But, like, it's so loose, and, it like, his crossover will be wide and high, but then he'll turn it into this, like, half spin, and then it looks so unorthodox, but it's like, wow, that was a great move. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then that also, <laughs> that also can turn into – how did you just dribble the ball off your foot? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he he's a great player. It's no hate or nothing, man. He's he's had his highs and his lows in the series, but he just it is a very bipolar experience with him yeah. in terms of what you're gonna get. Now he's been really good in the fourth quarters overall, besides the last game. So, you know, I guess you can be happy for Boston for that. Whether he's been high or low or not, he's proven to be high in the fourth quarter. Um. Bam, man, what's – he goes off in game three, and that's the game Rob Williams doesn't play. What, what's the deal? He is um, afraid. He is timid. Um, and he didn't – I mean, maybe he's not what we said he was. He, I mean, that's what he's showing to me, at least. So – yeah, and, you know, I think he has the skill set, but mm-hmm. mentally you have you have to overcome the barrier. Yeah. Like, and s- some people may call this crazy, and it was actually something I thought about last night after after we were talking. I mean, don't over overreact, like you or the audience listening. It's somewhat reminiscent of, like, Ben Simmons. It's not nearly as bad, and I do think he makes up for it a whole lot more on the defensive end in terms of being a team defender. And he he does a great job of getting involved in their actions um, with a lot of DHO stuff. But in terms of just, like, the aggressiveness to be a scorer, he – you could argue he is a lot more skilled than Ben Simmons, but he just doesn't use it. No. No, it doesn't. I, I mean, I can get on board with that. And I, yeah, and I mean, I'm not trying to fully compare it to Ben Simmons. I just want that's like the easiest way for me to explain it, so that people can maybe understand what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, and then just two last talking points. We didn't want to talk a ton about this series because it's just Game Seven is going to be a Game Seven. It's going to be a gridded out thing. We'll see who moves on. But um, I guess two things I'm watching in this Game Seven. Um, 
Number one is for the Heat, when Derek White is in, well, I guess this is more for the Celtics too. Jimmy goes at him, and Derek White's a good defender, but it's just like the size he gives up to Jimmy Butler, it's just hard to really guard him one-on-one. But Boston looked really confused the last game on how they were going to decide to guard that whenever he was being switched on to him or being involved in that action. Sometimes they were refusing to switch. I don't know. It just created some easy lanes for him to get to the hoop or to get in the mid-range and go to work. So it'll be interesting to see how Boston decides to go over that. And I do kind of feel bad because that's a scenario where Grant Williams probably would have been in the game, but he was facing foul trouble the entire game. And so they were never really able to go to him. But in the event that Derek White is having the offensive game like he had last game and they stick with him or if Grant Williams is in foul trouble and they have to stick with him, you know, I'll be interested in seeing what Boston does there and if Miami just continues to keep attacking that. On the opposite side, Miami's done a great job of really suffocating if Jason Tatum goes to drive at all and really making him, which he's been a good playmaker, but it really kind of depends on what his teammates are able to create after he makes the right play. And, you know, can Tatum and Udoka find a way to get Tatum to get more shots up? Because you look at last game, and Tatum had 30 points, and he was only only took 12 shots. He was 9 of 12 from the field, 75%. Can Tatum find a way, and Udoka, can, can Udoka put Tatum in positions to where even if the Heat are suffocating, playing a suffocating defense like that, to get him looks like in the mid-range or to get stuff maybe off a of DHO or to get off a high ball screen to be able to, you know, get some split action or whatever. And just can they find ways for Tatum to go look to score without having to be a full-time facilitator? Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting I wonder how deep Spo will go into the rotation in the game seven. I think it's all dependent on if uh, Tyler Hero plays or not. Uh, I don't think that he is. I, I'd I say there's no official report. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had a groin injury before myself, and it's it's hard, man. You feel good, and then you take a take a stride, and you're like, mm, so yeah. I, I don't know. I'd say no. I, I say we're not going to see him. Yeah. But uh, I, I did want to ask you, um, Okay. Did, did you see how many shots, like, Brown and Tatum had combined in the second half last game? Yeah. And it w- I didn't remind me what the exact number was. I know it wasn't much. Seven. Okay. And my thing for Tatum is that's why I brought that point up mm-hmm. because it's almost just too hard because he's getting blitzed a lot or at least being shown a second defender off of these, like, high – off the high screens or whatever, try to get an ideal matchup. And then yeah. once once he starts to drive at all, it doesn't even take him getting in the paint. It's literally four or five guys all in closing on him. Mm-hmm. So I'm not so much mad at Tatum as I am Brown. Brown has to find ways to get going, especially in transition because he gets a lot of transition looks. I feel like they find him a lot whenever they're in transition. He has to make smarter decisions. And yeah. so – you know, Tatum has to find more ways to score. Yudoka has to find ways to get him to score. But I wasn't so mad at Tatum as I was Brown in that situation. Yeah. That makes sense. I got you. Um, and then just simple question, game seven, who grits it out? 
going to say Miami because in these, I mean, if it's a blowout, Boston will win it. Uh, all these close games that you see in the fourth quarter, if it's close, Miami has pulled it out. So I'm going to go with Miami. I'm going to stay at my pick. Okay. Obviously, I'm staying with my pick. I'm going Boston. So, you know, I've picked them to win the title, so I'm not going away. Well, hope it's hope it comes into fruition. <laughs> yep. But it'll be it's going to be a great game. I'm excited to watch it. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then the last – I forgot to say this at the beginning, but we're also talking about how next talking point is going to be Tim Connolly will be the new president of basketball operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, just signed a five-year, $40 million deal, and he gets ownership equity. That was just an insane offer. I mean, I almost felt bad for Denver because it was like they weren't going to come close to anything like that. So, I mean, they just lost their guy that had done all these things that I'm about to mention here in a second because the offer was just so otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you feel about the move? I felt it was uh, it was good for them. Awful for offer for the uh, offer for them. Yeah, I I think it. You know, Woj said this. I really do think it is. It does have a chance to be a franchise altering move for the T Wolves. Mm-hmm. Like you're now bringing in a guy that's going to be making decisions at the helm for your roster that has this track record that is just insane. And here here's some things to mention. And it's it's a decent it's a decent haul's worth of stuff to mention. Connolly in his time with Denver. He did trade these guys, but I still think it's worth mentioning that he drafted them. That's Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. He drafted Mitchell at 13 and Gobert at 27. Now moving on to guys that he's either drafted and kept or has traded for. He drafted Jokic at 41. He traded Aaron Aflalo and Alonzo G for Will Barton and the pick that ended up becoming Malik Beasley. Um, he hired Mike Malone, who in my opinion is a great coach. Um, he drafted Jamal Murray at seven. He traded... Joffrey Laverne for two seconds, one of which turned into Monty Morris with the 51st pick. He drafted Michael Porter Jr. at 14, and although he's had some bad injuries here and it is concerning going forward, I do think it's safe to say that that's been a good pick that's paid off when he's on the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, and he traded R.J. Hampton, Gary Harris, and a, 20, a 2025 first-round pick for Aaron Gordon. And you've seen how good Aaron Gordon's been able to play off Jokic. And you saw how, how, how great of an addition he was once this team is fully healthy last season. I mean, they went on a 10-game streak where they were just running through teams, and they looked like the best team in the NBA until Jamal Murray got hurt. So, and then he drafted Bones Highland this past year at 26. Yeah, and so his his eye for talent, and I I I just basketball knowledge how he like thinks of things in his head and how putting it together works uh, with this Minnesota squad who's already already heading in the right direction. Oh yeah, I, I think it's gonna work work wonders. That's why I think I think the timing of it is is very nice because 
Minnesota's at a point where you've got a really good roster to work with and some assets to work with. And it's going to be interesting to see if he does anything this offseason. I wouldn't expect anything crazy this offseason, but uh, maybe some moves around the edges and maybe we see him. For him, the track record is specifically through the draft, being in that small smaller market compared to other teams. So I don't think he's going to trade maybe some draft picks like Minnesota is willing to in the past. And so that'll be good. And he's got the eye for talent. And maybe in the next two or three years, we'll see some immediate production coming along just off, just based off him having an eye for talent in the draft. Yep. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. And then, you know, just last little talking point. Um, the We were going to be talking about the Lakers coaching search. And when me and Tommy are – you know, talking to each other every week and talking about what we want to discuss in the pods. I texted Tommy and I was like, man, I really hope that we have a Laker hiring because I think we need to talk about this job, but I would prefer for it to be with an actual guy hired already. So, yay, we got a hiring. Yep. <laughs> um, Darvin Ham now hired to the Lakers on a four-year deal being their head coach. A uh, simple question to start it out: Was Darvin Ham the right hire? Absolutely, he was. He was my pick, and this is this is exactly what they needed. I, I agree, man. You know the the final candidates were Ham, Kenny Atkinson, and uh, why am I blanking? Who was the third? Terry Stotts. They used to coach Portland, and you know it was like with those guys, I was like cool they've had a little bit of success but like you may as well go with Darvin Ham because with Ham I think there's serious potential and those guys have some histories of not being able to really take anything to a title run or anything so why not just go with the guy that at least doesn't have that on his record of not being able to go super far so, you know, I mean, that was my thought process with it. Uh, there was speculation that they still wanted Doc Rivers. I think that was all kind of fake. Yeah. I, I'm not sure there was any real fire under that. And then um, they did reach out to Jawan Howard, but he turned down any kind of interest that they had. So I, I do – I do agree. I think Darvin Ham was the right hire. I'm excited for it. Uh, I think it's something that's really going to pay off in the long run. Um, I think they're going to be glad they made this hiring, you know, years on. I just don't think that – I think you're unrealistic if you think he's just going to make this Westbrook thing work. No, yeah, that's, a, that's a problem that can't be fixed. Yeah, like this, this is just a thing to me. Darvin Ham is going to be a great hire that they're going to be glad that they did down the, down the line. But with this experiment right now, no. Um and it was reported that the Lakers are not – we'll see if it's true or not, but it was reported that the Lakers are not willing to attach a first-round pick with Russ. And like I've said in the previous pod, I understand. Like, you're not guaranteed to be some championship team just because you trade him because his value is not very high, so you're not necessarily getting anything out of it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that we can really look at is the Pacers offer, but I do feel like the Pacers are going to get more thrown their way to ship off a Brogdon or a Buddy Heald or a Miles Turner. So, you know, man, it'll be uh, be interesting, but I, I'm very glad that he got the job. Yeah. 
and I, I just hope they uh, do the right thing and don't expect, you know, like the Ima Yudoka little thing. I mean, he has, he's, he has, I, I don't think he, he's put in the same situation that Ima was put in. And I don't think that, I mean, we, I've, I, we've seen him for a brief stint, maybe like five games taken over as coach. And when I, when we saw those games, good things happen, bad things happen. So he has, he has a lot to learn. Yeah. Uh, but, I hope they're just patient and take their time, take their time with them. Yeah. I'm just excited because you see what some of these first year guys did this year. And it's just one of those things where like, I think the league's in a good spot because they're not just recycling coaches anymore because that was beginning to become a problem. And, you know, it's like, why do you just keep recycling these coaches if they're not really doing anything? Obviously these guys are good at what they do. There's only 30 available jobs. Like I'm, it's no knock on anybody. These guys are good. They've earned it. But like, give these new guys a shot. Like you may as well. So, yeah. and you've seen, you saw success of guys, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm going to leave somebody out, but like two, I just want to name off the bat. Three, look at last year with Ty Lue. Okay. I know he wasn't a first time head coach, but I don't, I don't think people treated him like he was some serious thing since he was only with LeBron. Um, but actual first time head coaches, Ime Udoka this year. And, um, and Willie Green in New Orleans. So you just never know, man. Like, you got to give these guys a chance. So I, I do think Ham is like that next guy that's going to be a good head coach in this league. So I'm excited he got hired. Yep. So, guys, that's a wrap for episode 11. Um, we do have an episode coming for you this week right before the finals start. We, once we find a Game 7 winner tonight, we will give you a finals preview and uh let's just say we'll be talking some clippers this week so excited for it guys but you know if you've listened this whole time thank you for listening all of our regular listeners thank you for tuning in but with that being said this is the end of episode 11 of the coast to coast podcast see you guys later this week see y'all